Welcome to another episode of the Just Elite podcast. And with me today is Steph Chung. Steph, welcome to the episode. It's such a pleasure to have you here. You've had a very exciting and somewhat disappointing season. Let's start with um, yeah, what, what happened. You had a very, very good start to the season, a good open, good qualifier. And then the Granite Games. Tell us about what happened there. Yeah, it was by all means a good season. Everything was kind of going well. And then event one of the Granite Games was a one rep max snatch and I uh, hurt my elbow on my last lift. What exactly happened? You said you hurt it. Was, is it something that, that you've been struggling with? Is it, was it a weak spot or was this completely out of the blue? Not at all. I've, I mean, until now, I've never had any problems with my elbow. So it was completely out of the blue. I, you know, I've never even really considered my elbows as something that was a weak spot. Um, of course, we warm everything up, but I was more worried about my back. My back flares up from time to time and we had a long time to wait before the snatch event. We were staged for about 20 minutes. So between um, the last time we touched a barbell in warm-up area and the, the time we got out there was quite a long time. So I was, I was focused on my lower body, you know, keeping my back, my hips, my legs warm. Um, I wasn't so concerned about my shoulders. My shoulders have always been pretty good in snatch. So um, the, my physio assessed me right after the event, and we still think that it's a medial elbow strain of the UCL. And is, is that quite serious? I mean, we, we all know that, you, you know, you were strapped up or you had some form of, you know, cast around your elbow for, for the rest of the weekend. Obviously, it, it, it was sore and you could see, you know, they, they were after some events, you had to put it in ice and so on. So is this now something that, that's going to be a problem going forward? Or, you know, is it long term? Was it just something that can be fixed? God, I certainly hope it's not long term. Um, you know, it's, it's not as serious as it could have been. Um, you know, it could have been torn, I could have dislocated it. I think um, I did feel a pop um, when I caught the snatch. That's how I kind of, I felt and heard a pop. So like, I, that's what cued me in that there was something like wrong. Um, but it went back in, I didn't need it relocated or anything like that. So it definitely could have been worse, um, which would have made it potentially a more long-term injury. For now, you know, it's something that we're just trying to rehab the best that we can. My season ended after the last chance qualifier. So I was able to take time off, not do any of the movements that kind of irritated it the most. Um, over that weekend, obviously, it was not ideal to be competing with an, a hurt elbow. I had almost no range of motion. Um, let, I tell everyone that the, they pushed back competition on Saturday because of the heat. So they, we were supposed to compete, you know, early afternoon, and they moved us to, like, early evening. And those extra hours made all the difference. I think I probably would have had to withdraw if we had to compete that early. I just, I woke up, and I, I definitely couldn't straighten it all the way. I couldn't even bend my elbow enough to like touch my ear. Like that much flexion was impossible um, and everything hurt. So my physio did a lot of work on me that day, um, Friday night and into Saturday morning to just get it to somewhere that was functional. And we had no idea. We, he thought it was stable. You know, it felt stable in his testing, but there were definitely movements on Saturday that we were unsure if I would be able to complete. We had to take it event by event. I mean, we, we also, we, if you watch the games to the listeners and the people that are listening on the podcast, we saw a devastating elbow dislocation at the games with Brooke Wells. So we know, you know, the elbow is, it's, it's something that can, can get really, really hurt. But that must have been devastating. Steve, seeing that you also said that this will be your, your last season. I'm saying last because you're not completely retiring. Um, having, having, you know, your eyes set on this, you, you're changing your, your career path for, for, for the moment, for the next two years. Talk to us about that moment where you realize waking up on, on the Friday, not even being able to do this and knowing that, you know, this is my chance and all eyes on you, you know, we, everybody thought, you know, this is your year to hit the podium and make it back to the games. Yeah, it was, it was frustrating for sure. Certainly during that weekend, there were, there was a roller coaster of emotions. You know, I did very well in testing on the second event, the Friday night event. 
And I clearly did not do very well on the competition floor, mainly because my arm wouldn't lock out. It was a funny, like, you know, my brain kind of shut off function to one side. So um, my brain was saying like, you know, lock out the weight and my body was just not responding. So that night, of course, it looked like everything was done. You know, I'm not gonna be able to perform the rest of the weekend. I can barely like, you know, I can't do my hair because I can't touch, you know, my head with my arm. Um, and then you start to project out, you know, like this is my last season. This is my last shot. Uh, how disappointing is that? You know, but I think getting back into the mindset of event by event was helpful. Remembering that, you know, it's a temporary retirement and I am shifting my focus to something not, not worse, not necessarily better, but different and something definitely that has been a goal for a long time. So that helped keep me in the game a little bit in the competition. And, you know, now I think it's fortunate that I have a little bit of time off to recover my body. And hopefully when I come back to competition, I'll be just feeling even better. Steph, having an, an injury like that and waking up to, you know, to the restrictive movement and so on, the, the basic thing, the normal thing is to think is maybe for health and safety, I should withdraw from the competition because what can happen now is long-term injury it's not just a training day it's you know it's hectic competition over three days why not just okay it's 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 it's, it's not a simple question but did the thought cross your mind to just withdraw absolutely it was probably the first and foremost question on our minds and um when i when i tell people you know it sounds like so cool to be like oh you you know you competed on an injury and and whatnot but if it were a normal training day I would have completely stopped you know it's like competition is very unique in that we kind of have to put aside what our body says we spend so much time listening to our bodies and training every day you know as as you should as anyone should um, you have to listen to what your body is telling you the feedback it's giving you but in competition it's it's different you you know the, the circumstances are different. It's a little bit higher stakes. You know, you only have one shot um, and you kind of have to put that aside. Now, that being said, I always have the mentality that if you get injured or if something is hurting, you have to assess whether you're going to do more damage to it by continuing. So the in a competition, the question of whether to withdraw or not is always based on, okay, what is the injury now? And is there a risk, you know, is it functional? Can I physically do whatever is left in the weekend? And then the second question is, am I going to injure myself further? I think there's always a risk of injuring yourself further if you're already coming in with an injury. Mm. But, you know, I think it's pretty rare that anyone comes into a competition without some kind of injury, something bothering them, right? So it's like, do I increase my risk of injuring myself further? Um, I was super lucky to have my physiotherapist there who was able to help me like determine that. And we did regular checks, like every single time he treated me, he was, you know, checking the stability, checking, do you feel like you have good stability in your elbow or is it, you know, unstable and therefore any weight that you put on it is, um, you know, up in the air, whether it's going to dislocate or not. He assessed that it was stable. It felt stable to me. You know, we did a lot of warm up. Um, specifically like the ring muscle ups, that was a big thing. Like we were testing whether I could do bench dips and whether I could transition and all of these things before I actually got on the rings. And even when I got on the rings, I, I looked at my husband who was my coach that weekend. And I looked like took a big breath and I was like, Oh, cause you know, you think you're thinking like, if, if it's not stable, you're going to just like fall through these rings, like, you know, but it was, it was fine. So that's kind of in competition. That's how I assess it. It was the same in 2018 when I broke my ankle prior to the games. The doctors, you know, we, I went and saw a surgeon. I went and saw an ortho, um, orthopod and he took scans. And I said, you know, if I compete on this, do I risk anything? Like what, you know, what's the risk? And he said, you're probably, you know, maybe you increase. I had an avulsion fracture that year. Um, so tiny separation of the, the end of the bone because the tendon kind of popped it off the end. Um, he said, you know, you might increase the, the gap between the bones, but ultimately, you know, as long as you don't tear the joint capsule, you're ultimately looking at kind of the same recovery. So 
that's that's where I, my head goes is if I were to risk further injury, severe further injury, then the decision would have been to withdraw. So I was very fortunate that my injury was not as severe as Brooks. And um, I certainly hope that she gets better really soon. Definitely. And obviously you avoided surgery. Now, Steph, obviously not the ending to, to that weekend that, that you hoped for, but then you, you had the chance to, to compete in the, another online competition that so many of us dreaded this year. Um, the last chance qualifier. Talk to us through through that weekend. Obviously, it's it's not ideal, but you you got your 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 you know your your second attempt to to try and, and make it back there. How did that weekend go? With the, I mean, you didn't have a lot of time before you got to do the last chance qualifier. No, I had about a month from Granite Games, and so that's including a little bit of a deload week that you just have to take. And actually, during that deload week, I also uh, tweaked my back. So I was uh, not doing so well going into the last chance qualifier. It was um, when I tweak my back, it's uh, kind of just a flare up of my nervous system more than anything. It's not necessarily severe, but everything locks down. So I couldn't like touch my toes. I couldn't stand up from the couch, that kind of stuff, like very basic stuff. So the question of being able to do burpees, the question of like being able to lift any kind of weight off the ground, um, like right up until the last chance qualifier was a huge question mark. That was a huge issue. So the workouts were not great for someone with an elbow and a back injury. I will say that three RM deadlift dead stop from the floor was not, I hadn't pulled weight from the floor until that the week beforehand. I hadn't pulled anything from the floor. So the last chance qualifier didn't go great. I would say um, for sure. I mean, both in terms of like where I finished on the leaderboard, but also my personal expectations. I, you know, you never hope to have a competition that your performances just don't live up to what you, what you expect from yourself. But I was really, I was, you know, really proud of myself at Granite Games for fighting back into that position and to get myself into that position. Um, I think it was more, it was more of a, a character growth moment. And even though the last chance qualifier didn't go well, um, you know, that the Granite Games is still a really positive memory in my mind because I was able to push through. I got through the whole weekend. I was so grateful to have an in-person competition again. You know, even though I had to end my season on an online qualifier, it was like the memories of the stadium and being in lanes next to people and that push. That's really the best thing I could have asked for in this quote unquote final season. Mm. Now, I love it that you keep on saying how you end your season and not your career. I think, it, it, you know, it's, it's important to note. And you also mentioned it on, on social media that you're going into semi-retirement or super long off-season. So, um, yeah, it's good to know that, that you're not leaving the sport. And you, you're known as, as the comeback kid. Can you tell us where, where did that come from? Just for the listeners and the people watching that, that, that don't know where, that, doesn't know the way that come from. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny that um, now we have to like, that I guess is considered CrossFit history. We have to dig back into, it's been a minute. Since then. So 2018 in, at regionals, um, the last year where they had regionals, I was competing in Meridian and the first day went very, very badly for me. I mean, like very badly, uh, which we, which we knew was going to happen. It wasn't the greatest workouts for me. It was triple three um, on the runner which is a long way to run. That was that like was a long distance I'd ever run on a run. That, that was horrible. Like, it was I've horrible. never done it, but just watching it, I, I know I, I saw somebody vomit straight after that. I remember so clearly watching it. Yes. Sorry, continue. <laughs> no, it was horrible. That's exactly as, as horrible as it was. It was just, I think the time cap was like 45 or 48 minutes, like something extreme. There were people who got capped on it, so it really did go that long. Um, so that wasn't a great one for me. Um, just between like all the modalities, monostructural is not great for me. And then the next was um, Linda, which is uh, bench press, deadlift, bench press, and uh, cleans. That also does not go very well for me because I, <laughs> until that point, had not trained bench press. So we, we kind of knew that like day one was going to be a struggle. Uh, so I went into day two on Saturday in, I think, the, the second heat. I was in like 27th, like I was really low. Um, and then I, through the weekend, I climbed my way back. I think I had some like fourth place finishes. Um, 
some, you know, top five finishes so that Sunday I climbed my way back into the top heat. Um, I won the first event on Sunday and that put me in the position to then qualify for the games after finishing day one on in 27th place, which was obviously not where anyone wants to be when they want to make the games. And then I, and then it was fortunate. I actually won the event on Saturday on Sunday morning because it was a tie break for the game spot. And that Mm. event win put me in the, in the tie break position. That's amazing. There's there's another athlete that that's also known as 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 the comeback kid, Cole Sager, and um you know digging yourself out of a hole like that. You know it's it's not ideal. We know Pat Valner does the same thing on his first day at the games every single year, and then digging yourself out of that um is not great. But coming out at the end is 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 always rewarding. But let's go back your your CrossFit you in semi retirement. Let's go back a bit. Talk to us about where it all started. You had a gymnastics career. Yep. And how did that try into, into CrossFit then? Sure. So when I was, um, when I was young, I started gymnastics around the age of three. Um, I was really young and I did it all through my young life. I had a back injury when I was about 12, which kind of took me off track. And I, I did come back for a season after that and was somewhat competitive, but it kind of threw everything for a loop in my career. So I did a little bit of, a little bit of gymnastics in college. I did club gymnastics, um, at Cornell, which was really fun. Um, a little more casual than the competitive one I was used to. And then I needed something to do after college because you age out of gymnastics, like college is pretty much it for a lot of people, just too hard on the body. And so my mom said, you know, I was so sick of going to like planet fitness and just like walking on a treadmill staring at the at weights not really knowing what to do with them um so she a crossfit gym opened in our town it was actually spencer hendel's gym at the time he had just opened it and so yeah i went and i tried a class my brother came with me poor guy who was so nice never went back um and then that's how you know i loved it It, you either love it or you never go back or or you're addicted to life or you turn around and you walk away yeah. And you know, I think he'd be really good at it. It just like was a lot for our first day. And I loved getting my butt kicked by it, but he was definitely like, yeah, I'm all set. I'm good. <laughs> um, and yeah, I just, I liked, I liked the variety of movements. You know, they explained the philosophy of CrossFit is like a great workout in under an hour. Um, you know, we only, I think our workout was like 13 minutes. And I was dead. Like I'd never done something that intense and that short. Obviously, a gymnastics floor routine is is a bit intense, but um, you know, I'd never done that in the gym. I'd always like walked on the treadmill for 90 minutes, maybe a little bit of running. You know, it was cool to know that you could go to the gym and like get this satisfactory workout in such a short amount of time. Um, and I loved the challenge of learning new things. There were so many things that I didn't know how to do. You know, I'd never lifted a barbell. I barely knew how to use dumbbells. Um, the gymnastics was of course familiar to me. So there was something to like keep me in it, you know, like the days with toes to bar and kipping pull-ups and things like that. Like those were the days that I really enjoyed because of my background, but there's also something really cool about being an adult, you know, and learning something new, like a new, a new fitness skill that you didn't know your body could handle. So that's what, what drew me in and what kept me ultimately. Yeah. And then obviously you, you, you've been competing from a very young age. Um, so was competing in the sport kind of, did it just come natural? That was like the natural organic path for you to follow? Or was there like some, like, I mean, you, you were at the gym with Spencer Hendel, but was that like kind of, okay, Steph, you've got some true potential here, you know, let's get you competing. Not at all at first, for sure. Um, they were really great. So I, I kind of consider my first two starting gyms, um, Spencer's gym and um, a gym in Ithaca, New York called CrossFit Palace. It's actually owned by um, Tim Paulson and Eamon Coyne. Eamon competed in Masters, the Masters division this year and um, Tim was an individual. So I had some really good coaches um, starting out and they really didn't push me. You know, I, I'm competitive by nature, but I'm in gymnastics, it's competition with yourself. Mm. It's an individual sport, at least in, you know, not in college, but when you're young, it's an individual sport. You're kind of just competing to be a better version of you. 
And I kind of applied that to CrossFit in the beginning. Um, I wouldn't say I was, I loved it, but I wouldn't say I was particularly dedicated. <laughs> I was, we joke all the time that when I was in college, I would like do the classic cherry picking the workout, you know, late cancel because I didn't want to get out of bed. I would only go like two or three times a week and only do the workouts with movements that I like to do. I would never put weight on my bar, all this stuff. Almost like I, the rest you of know, us, like, like the I rest of the average people. That's what we do. <laughs> exactly. I was like your normal gym class crossfitter. And as a coach for so many years, I, I was talking with Eamon about three years after I left their gym, I was living in the Middle East coaching. And I was like, I was the worst member. I was like, I'm th I think about all the things that I hate that our members do. And I did like every single one of those, <laughs> like that was me. Um, so yeah, totally guilty. Um, but then when I moved to the Middle East, you know, like CrossFit was still recreational for me. It was just a way to like make friends and socialize and, and get a good workout. You know, I, I would like that aspect too, of course. Um, I met my husband, he was managing the gyms in Qatar. He's now my husband. Um, and the, the group of people that I kind of fell in with there did, you know, they trained at the same time all together. They did a little bit of like skill and strength plus the workout. So it was fun. You know, I had, all, I had a lot of time. So I ended up just staying in the gym with them, doing a little bit more work. It was easy to compete in the Middle East. Like, you know, the it's easy to travel there and the level of competitors was like a little bit lower than the U.S. just because it was a newer sport so it was a little bit easier to like get to these in-person competitions and so um the fact that I like could do toes to bar and pull-ups was a big plus mm. um so Rob was like hey maybe you should like try to compete like at least it's a way to travel and see the region and like get to know people and whatnot so we started kind of like doing local competitions I really liked it it was really hard so therefore I was like okay well I want to get better at it because it's really hard and then it grew into like eventually it was like well maybe you can make regionals and that would be pretty fun because like how many people you know in the U.S. get to say that they made regionals not that many mm. um, because the field is so big and that's where it all kind of was born out of so a long way around your question is I always had that competitive nature. And so I think it was easy to like convince me that I should try. But I think if, if I had been living in the US or, you know, like if I had less time or whatnot, it would have been harder to convince me that like, no, you should make this your living. You should like do this full time, dedicate, you know, all of your energy to it. Um, and I actually, and with my back injury, I should mention that I was when I was 12, I got injured in gymnastics and I was really hesitant to like lift any weights because of it. Um, I just didn't want to go back to that place. And so I remember doing like in my early days, I tried a GHG sit up and because I had like no stability anywhere, I wasn't like strong. Mm. I did it and it really hurt my back. Like it didn't feel very good. And I was like, Oh, I can never compete. I had just seen like Spencer at 2014 regionals do, mm. and they did a, a bunch of GHG. And I was like, well, if I can't do these, like I'll never be able to compete. So I might as well just have fun. And that's what kind of did my mindset towards like, well, we'll just do this for fun rather than to compete. Cause you'll never be able to do that. Like your back is injured. You have this history, like you'll just never, your body will never be able to tolerate high level competition. But here we are. I'm like a, like one of those testimonials. It's like, it's for everyone. Like, even if you've had an injury, it's for you too. So with, with, with this competitive nature and, and the, the awesome way how you found yourself in, into competing and competing at the highest level in our sport, ending your season back to 2021 now, the way you did, is, there, is that hunger even bigger now knowing that you didn't get your, you know, that last chance to perform on the biggest stage of them all to most probably come back in a few years' time? Yeah, of course. I mean, it's always like whenever you have unfinished, whenever you feel like you have unfinished business, you're like, but I want to do it now. You know, it's like after the last chance qualifier or in, in seasons past when I didn't qualify for the games, you know, the sentiment was like, well, I'm going to start training right now for next year, you know, because I'm like, I'm going to get ahead. I'm not going to take time off. I'm going to like have that competitive edge, which obviously is not a good long-term strategy. Mm. So it's it was a little bit hard to deal with the like, well, you have two years, you know, until you're going to be back until you have your shot again. So you, 
that knowing that there was so much long, like lag time before I'll have another chance um, was tough. I have to say it was tough, but, and that competitive person in me was like, oh, well maybe like, maybe I can fit in a competition next year. Rob and I had talked about it and we we're like, you know, it really doesn't make sense with my school schedule. Um, it's just not going to be possible for me to travel. But I think it's useful to have that. Like, I don't think of it as like stagnant energy. I just think of it as like, you didn't have your chance now, but you'll have your chance again. And if you channel it into positive, I tell everyone, like, if you channel that into positive places, like it can do a lot for you. If you just like, let it sit and kind of fester, then it will just haunt you for a long time. You know, that's the negative side. So yeah, in workouts now that I'm doing, like, am I thinking about competition? No, but when I'm like suffering on the assault bike, am I thinking about like staying fit for the next two years so that I can like compete again? Like, yeah, yeah, I'm not gonna lie. Like I, I use that to fuel me when the workout's really hard or like I wanna slow down. And when you're not competing, like, yeah, you can slow down. Like, what, what does that hurt you? You know, it only hurts yourself. And so when I need that extra little push, I do think like, don't, you know, don't lose it. You're gonna be back in two years and you're gonna be kicking yourself for all those workouts that you just like walked through rather than sprinted. Definitely. Now we've been talking about your semi-retirement in two years, two years, but, but, but tell us about what is gonna happen in these two years for the listeners and the people on YouTube watching that, that they don't know what the hell is going on. Where's Steph going for, 20, for two years? <laughs> Disappearing off the face of the earth for two years. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I'm starting PA school. So <laughs> um, in the U.S., um, physician assistant associate um, is a mid-level provider role. Um, so in between, you know, the MD, the doctor is um, the highest level provider. And then um, you have PAs and NPs. So uh, I am going to school to be a PA, which will mean that I'm in school from Monday through Friday, um, 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. Uh, for the first year. So from, we start in early September and we'll go through next August. Uh, taking classes, we'll be in the classroom um, and obviously in labs and simulations and things like that, but learning all of our like didactic work. And then starting in next August, we'll go into our clinical rotations um, and that goes for a whole year. So we'll go from August to August in our clinical rotations in a wide variety of fields and specialties. And then I'll be able to sit for my uh, licensure boards the next, that next fall, so fall 2023. And then I'll be able to apply for jobs. And then after all of this time, you, you just gave us like just a slight timeline and, and the hours that you will be busy. When you actually start applying for work, what, what will your hours be when you, when you go into, you know, the, the, the workforce? Will it also be eight to six? That's a great question. So maybe um, a lot can change in two years, but, and it does vary based on specialty um, and how many, you know, what the department looks like, how many nurses you have, maybe medical residents and all this, um, but a very common work week for PAs is four days of 10 hours. So yeah, so it might be eight to six, it might be overnight, it might, you know, depending on where you work, it could be any time of the day, but four days on um, of 10 hours each is pretty typical. Some do three days of 12 hours um, and any current PAs could weigh in on how much they work. I'm sure there are some that do, you know, five days mm. um, or take call shifts and things like that, but it is a little bit more flexible in terms of like work-life balance in that way, mm. um, at least so I've been told. So hopefully that's when, that's why I'm saying in two years, you know, maybe when I have a normal job, um, it would be easier to rearrange my schedule for travel. And do you have an idea of what, you're, what you will be specializing in? I don't yet. I'm keeping an open mind. I, I have ideas of the specialties that are most interesting to me, but we learn about everything. So the PA uh, education is broad. So I don't want to close myself off to a certain specialty with one in mind and then hit clinical rotations and say like, oh, wow, I actually really like, you know, ophthalmology. 
And I didn't think I would like that. You know, I want, I want to be open to the experience. I want to learn everything about different fields um, because I really had limited experience um, in different areas. You know, I focused most of my work in, in orthopedics. And then this past year I was working cardiology, which is fascinating as well. But I want to make sure that I have that well-rounded, open-minded view so that when I'm applying to jobs, maybe there's one in a field that I wasn't expecting to like. Now, uh, just for the people listening as well, like people think, okay, but Steph, if you love CrossFit so much, you'll make time. I had an interview with, with Taylor Williamson from Team Mayhem that obviously won this year. And she's also in PA school. And she was actually advised by her school to, or asked, or actually told that you can't compete. You cannot do CrossFit, which she obviously didn't listen to. And it turned out quite great for her in, in this instance. But just listening to it, to, to the hours, Steph, that is, that is a lot of long hours, um, you know, to, to focus on and, and do sport on the side. So balancing just even just one workout with hours like that, being on your feet for 10 hours or just sitting in the class, like when would you even train? Right. So that's also a good question. And I've dedicated a lot of thought to my schedule mm. because working out, you know, it's, it's your anchor to sanity. I tell people that all the time, you know, it's like, it's literally how I stay balanced and mm. sitting all sitting for 10 hours is something that's so foreign to me now mm. at this point in my life after years of competing that I think I will just fall apart if I don't work out. Um, I will probably get, you know, the hour a day, like most people do, um, you know, in and out, very efficient, just get to what I need to. Um, and I think that I really do believe that I can maintain my fitness that way. I think that everyone can. Um, it's just about being intentional with both your programming. So what you're doing and also um, how you're doing it. You know, intensity goes a, lot, a long way. I think people, this is a little bit of a tangent, but I think people see like, oh, games athlete, like to be competitive, you have to just add more volume. You have to do more. Mm. And I don't know that that's always the answer. I think it is in certain cases, um, in certain circumstances, but for me, where I've been doing this for so long, um, I, I really think that it's about skill maintenance. It's about um, intensity in the workouts that I'm doing. So, you know, no, I'm not doing three Metcons a day, but that one is going to be like, you know, 100% of my effort versus maybe 75% distributed across three Metcons. So I really think the hour a day is not the issue. Um, the reason that I am taking time off competition is for the travel. I honestly, I haven't talked to Taylor. I don't know how she did it, <laughs> but like for Granite Games, I traveled Wednesday to Monday and, you know, with school Monday through Friday, eight to six, like that's a lot of class to miss. Um, I don't, you know, maybe it's doable. I, I haven't met my professors. I don't know what my classes will be. For now, though, I think it's best for me to just focus my energy into school and, you know, rather than having the question mark of like, oh, will I be able to do it? Will I not? I'm just taking the step back and saying I'm going to focus on being the best PA that I can be, you know, learning the most and not have the distraction of competition and then digging my hole out of the, um, digging myself out of the hole of missing so much class. Um, at least for the year, maybe it's different in clinical years. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I think, I think the fitness will be fine. It's really the, the time dedication that you need to compete at a high level. You just, you have to take so much time off. No, look, absolutely. What, what, what Taylor said, and you can't, you can't, you know, compare the two because you, it's, she, she's in her final year. And I mean, you only starting out, but I can tell you, and in her own words, it was very stressful. It was insane, you know, balancing competing PA school and, and a marriage is, can, can definitely not be fun. I want to move on to something else. Back in 2020, the first time that, that we as a community heard about the, the Professional Fitness Athlete Association, you're an executive committee mm. member. Are you still on the board? What's happening with that? You know, tell us about that and, and progress that's been made within this committee for the sport? Sure, I'd love to talk about that. So yes, the answer is yes, I am still on the executive board. 
we are looking to maybe run elections or kind of turn over the board for next year. It's been just about over a year, which we kind of knew we would, um, was the time commitment um, to get things off the ground. But we would like some new opinions, new voices kind of injected into the conversation. So um, perhaps I will be on that next board, perhaps I won't. I think what we've done this year has been really great. You know, it was the first year of anything is just about establishing yourself as a legitimate organization. And I think that we did that, you know, we have really, really productive conversations with CrossFit HQ that in my, at least to my knowledge has never been done between athletes and CrossFit in the past. So we were able to, by working together with CrossFit, we were able to kind of break down that wall. Um, and even though, you know, it was only nine of us speaking with them every month, there's now this, um, this conversation going on where they're listening to our feedback, what we have to say, and then we're able to hear their intentions and their thought process, planning process, and relay that information as it's relevant to athletes. So, and that's a level of communication that we just haven't had in the past, which I think has created all of, not all of the problems, but a lot of them, you know, it's just a, an issue with communication and misunderstanding. So I think aside from any, you know, concrete checks off the list, that's a huge one is that we've created this lasting relationship and uh, avenue for communication going forward. In terms of what we were able to do, I think a lot of it was behind the scenes this year. Um, we did try to share it with, with athletes, but a lot of it was, like I said, just kind of the minutia of establishing ourselves. So we, we provided recommendations for things like workout releases, um, timelines for that. When we were, you know, we would provide suggestions for, for example, quarterfinals of, you know, when are you going to announce the workouts? What are your, what do the windows look like? Um, what does the appeals process look like? How can that be refined? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think this season did go more smoothly than previous seasons. Of course, it's a new format. So there are going to be hitches and issues. But I, you know, it's like before we would just have HQ told us what to do and you either did it or you didn't. If you liked it, it didn't matter. Someone else would fill your spot. Mm. I think now there's much, there's a much better, you know, athletes have an investment in CrossFit, or at least they are hearing what athletes would like and what, from our perspective, what matters. Yeah. And so I think we'll see a lot of really important changes in coming seasons as they're able to plan the whole season and this format kind of solidifies itself and they're keeping our preferences in mind. So I know that's, it's a little bit vague. There are, there were very concrete things that um, we told them. We actually just had a call with them about the games and our feedback. Um, and I think they'll take those things going forward. And it just makes us, it'll hopefully make the sport um, more professional, a lot more accessible and um, better. I wish it, I wish it would affect us, you know, like I, the, the generation of athletes, like I wish it would affect us, but it's going to be really, really great for, for people down the line. Definitely. I, I think we all need to remember that it's still such a young sport. And I know a lot of the athletes that they've been talking about something like this association, like this for many, many years, even though, you know, our sport has been only competitive for, for a few years, but going forward, this can only grow, this can only get better and getting the feedback and, and you know, the opinions of, of athletes on the floor, you know, competing each year is, is definitely very important, it's especially when it comes to this, the planning of the season. I've had numerous conversations with athletes that just, you know, the, the season since 2019, when, you know, when regionals became redundant, then everything has just been so uncertain. So I think it's a very good place to start so you say that even though you are retiring semi-retirement you will still be part of this association now let's keep that in mind and go down to all your sponsors what is the communication with with your sponsors now that you won't be competing for for quite you know an unknown number of years even though you can plan you know, to come back in two years, but not knowing your schedule, what is the conversation like? And is that something that you were worried about? 
It was definitely a point of concern, um, something that I knew I had to address with them, saying, you know, giving them the heads up, like, hey, I'm taking time off. I'm no longer going to be, quote unquote, a professional athlete. We had those conversations, and I have to say that all of my sponsors are amazing. Um, they're just so great, so understanding. The, I mean, every single one of them has been overwhelmingly excited for for me in this new chapter um and so for now um they're all continuing to support me through school of course it would be understandable if they didn't you know I was prepared for that um given that my entire career is changing but I really I think the brands that I've been able to partner with I've been so so lucky to have them on board you know I think it speaks to like the level of their people like they are yes they're business people they're thinking about business but they're also people people so they're you know they've all expressed the desire to continue to support me have me on the team have them represent the brand um and I just I I really I come back to like how lucky I am to partner with brands that have their their athletes best interests in mind as well as their business interests not simply, you know, numbers on a page. Um, it's so much more than that. And that's why I call them, you know, partnerships, not sponsorships, mm-hmm. um, because it really is supportive back and forth. They support me and then I do my very best to support them and be a, a representative of, of their brand. It's- so yes, so far, so far, it looks like that's all, all pretty stable. Another reason to come back, Steph. I'm just putting it out there. <laughs> so, Steph, I have I have two questions from from a fan, um, somebody that's a really really big fan of yours, and I, I I knew like he he really you know he's been supporting your career and he looks up to to you as an athlete. So I asked him if if you could ask Steph two oh, cool. questions to what would it be? So his first question. This is Craig Hawks. Shout out to Craig. Craig asked about your nutrition plan. Like what nutrition plan you on? I know there's different apps that a lot of these um, top athletes you guys are following. What does your nutrition look like to perform at the highest level? That is a great and very complicated question. Um, which is why I don't talk about it a lot <laughs> because there's a lot of stuff out there and it's so different for everyone. For me personally, um, my nutrition changes a lot based on the time of the season. So I don't adjust my macros kind of in within the week. I know there are some plans that um, have you kind of go up on rest, up on training days, down on rest days. I, mine are stable. So whatever kind of macros I'm dealing with that's every day of the week it's also simpler that way I I don't have the capacity to like vary days by day Mm. um in in season you know I respond to high carbs very well um we've just learned that I was working with a um, nutrition company um m2 for a long time and over the years we just found that um my body functions better on high carbs with a little bit lower fat um and a normal amount of protein, you know, the, the standard is like one, uh, one gram per day per um, pound of body weight. I think it's about, it's about right around there. Um, so during competition season, we would tweak it. It would go, my carbs would pretty much go up. Everything else would basically stay unless I just needed more calories. Um, off season, we bring it down based on my level of energy. I'm a huge fan of macros. It's, I'm very type A. So it is just easy. There's no ambiguity. It's like you hit your numbers or you don't. Um, I use my fitness pal just because I've used it for so long. I'm, I'm really used to it. Um, and I guess that that's kind of a basic overview, but I would say nutrition takes time to learn yourself. And it's really like, it's so individual. That's why I, I avoid talking a little bit about what I've done. I, I, I tell people like tips, you know, and things that have worked for me, but it's so individual. And it, if you do it right, it just takes time to experiment with what works for you. I've talked to athletes who have like double the amount of fat that I have every day and almost no carbs. And I'm like, I have no idea how your body runs on that, but you're clearly doing great. So, you know, that works for you. And then the, the so second, I guess, sorry, yeah, sorry. no, 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 continue. You guess. 
Oh, no, that's it. I, I guess the only thing that I would add that I've tried recently, I've tried it in the past and that's why I've come back to it recently is I intermittent fast now oh. that I'm not training. Um, so I don't, I don't eat my first meal until about 11 or 12. Um, and then I'm usually done with dinner by 39 ish. Mm. So I have about a, somewhere between an eight and a 10 hour feeding window. And it's really just that simple. I just drink a lot of water in the morning. I don't eat until about lunchtime. And then I have all my macros, all my meals, and I finish up around nine, nine o'clock at night. So the, the intermittent fasting, is that is, is there something fairly new? And how has it been affecting your body? It's, it's not a new principle for sure. It's been yes. around for a long time. No, 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 but I'm talking um, for, you, I, uh, for you yourself. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Um, so I, I used to intermittent fast, um, back when I was a teacher. So when I first moved to Doha, 2014, 15, so like a long time ago now, seven years, um, I, I just like it because it helps me feel really mentally clear in the morning. Um, it also helps me drink more water. So I get through about three quarters of my day worth of liquid in the morning if I don't eat and for some reason it's just a struggle like all day mm. to drink enough water if I eat really early that's just a personal thing that I've noticed mm. um I stopped intermittent fasting when I started training twice a day um because I do you know I do think it's important to eat to feel correctly for mm. training um especially for women um training fasted has been it, everyone women are highly variable but you know, it's been shown to be kind of a stress response mm. if you fast too much. Um, so I stopped it when I started training. And now that I've been back at the hospital, um, it just worked with my schedule. So I would, you know, you don't get a break from about 7.30 until 11.30 noontime. Mm. So it's just easier to, to wait, drink more water, mm. eat my full lunch, you know, when it was time. And then um, I'm in, you know, just but I was in bed by 9.30. So my dinner had to be done by 8.30 or nine. And I've just continued through since um, being kind of off season. It just works well for me. I'm busy in the morning and then I eat at lunch. And then the last question, um, also from Craig and from myself <laughs> is regarding your mindset. Um, he, he asked specifically about your, your competition mindset and how you carry yourself in situations where things might not go your way um let's take the granite games for instance where you're the very first workout you had an injury but but you pushed through you stayed calm you know you took good workout for workout so during your career up to this point how do you did you have a mind uh, you know did you have a coach that worked with you you know a sports um psychologist or something or how do you prepare your mindset and work with your mindset leading up to a competition That's a good question. I don't have, I guess, a really good answer for it. Um, my, I mean, I guess I would say like having, surrounding yourself with good people matters a lot. Um, have, you know, having people who are putting the right kinds of ideas into your mind, you know, like, for example, my husband will always say like, when I'm feeling stressed or anxious about stuff, He'll just bring you back to like, remember why you do this. You know, you don't, you're not doing this um, for anyone else other than you. This is for your, you compete because you want to, you know, prove something to yourself or, you know, you enjoy it. Bring yourself back to that and remember why, like, this is all going to be worth it. Um, you know, instead of saying like, well, like your whole year will, will have been for nothing if you don't qualify, you know, that's, I guess the same sentiment of like, remember why you're doing this and why you push yourself, but they're two different sides of it. Um, so that's really helpful to have him ground me every once in a while. Um, my coach, um, Yami from the training plan is also pretty good at, at mindset. You know, he, he's more the one that brings me back into like one session at a time. I'm a, I'm a planner by nature. So I'll look down the road, I'll project into the future. And he really keeps me like, no, like focus on one, piece like as small as one rep at a time one piece of a movement mm -hmm. at a time you know like um and then of course competition is like you know you're focused on one event and that's it you're not thinking about the rest of the weekend you're not thinking about how it might play out you're not projecting like I love to project I love it 
So you're not looking at like, okay, if you, if you place third in this workout, what are your points? And then like, where, where does that put you for the next day? Like, no, it's this workout. You're going to do your best, not worry about where anyone else falls and your best is enough. I think for me, at least, um, I know people, a lot of people are, who are competitively motivated are motivated by other people, you know, like you are training to beat this person or imagine that this person is next to you and like, you know, how fast they're going. That works for me a little bit in training. Sometimes when I'm having a really hard time, you know, I picture like being on a competition floor and like you imagine as you start to slow down on the bike, someone else speeds up. Like, so I suppose I use little scenarios like that to help me sometimes, but usually the most potent motivator for me is like me versus me. It's like you push to do your best and then your best is, is enough. And ultimately like Rob is really great at reminding me of that, especially before open workouts. I don't know why, like eight years later after doing my first open, I still get like super anxious before. And, and he's always like, you know, it doesn't, you could be doing this in a gym alone. You could be doing this in a class full of members. You could be doing this with the top five women at the CrossFit Games. It doesn't matter. It's not going to change your strategy. Like you do you, you do your best and it's enough. And so I think if it works, if that mentality works for you, it certainly works for me. That's been, that's my biggest piece of advice on mindset. Just do it for you. Stay in your lane. Yeah. It, it's helpful to deviate. I have to say, like, I've had to learn that you, you have to learn how to, mm. when to deviate, when it's useful. But for me, a lot of the times, like, especially in training, it's just not useful. Like you have to focus on you. You have to focus on doing what's right for you. Um, don't worry about anyone else's training. Don't worry about, you know, how fast they're pushing in a Metcon. Don't let it get you off your plan. If you have a good plan, the plan that's the best one for you, then you stick with it. Awesome. Steph, where can the listeners and the YouTube watchers follow you on, on social media? Are you active on Instagram? Um, what is your handle and where else can they, can they see what you're up to now that you, you're moving direct, you know, you, you're changing course just for a few years? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm very, I'm the most active on Instagram. My handle is Steph Chung 2 um, all one word. I do have a Facebook athlete page, uh, Steph Chung, although you know, I'm a little bit less active on Facebook and I have not explored YouTube so much yet. It's mostly videos of me doing qualifiers from years ago and movement demo videos for all of the athletes that I program for, mm. but maybe that'll be a new, a new frontier when I have the time. Thanks for listening to another episode of Just Elite. Subscribe to the YouTube channel and please, please, please leave a comment.